everyone sort of already know David Huss because uh, he is a member of our um, Visiting Research Fellows Group for the Changing Character War program. Um, he will be speaking on searching for reflective armed forces, the Lithuanian civil military relations perspective. And, and um, David Huss and I had a number of interesting conversations trying to compare um, Lithuania historically, um, certainly through the Soviet era, um, with today, and what a, a small country um, is learning from uh, outside, but also how it internalizes its own development. We're going to hear a lot more about that today. Um, he's a lecturer at the Lithuanian Military Academy, of course, um, two terms here, but he has been um, a friend of the program, I'd say, uh, before that, and has attended loyally our conferences. And it feels great at last to give you the platform <laughs> to, to speak. I'm sorry that the travel disruption of no this our audience, but you will get the high quality people instead. Okay, so thank you. It's a real privilege to be here and to deliver my paper and to share some of my initial thoughts about some research projects which I'm doing right now. And this presentation is kind of part of my ongoing postdoctoral fellowship back in Lithuania. And I am commissioned to write a book, I have one more year left, about developing Lithuanian military thought since 1990. So what we did after we regained our independence after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And basically what I'm interested in, how we, a small country with a small armed forces, 6,000 overall, with all services included, and reservists, and regulars, uh, what we, how we're thinking about what is war, how we're thinking how we have to fight wars, what, what future conflicts will be, how that thinking affects our military planning and military structure, training, equipment, procurement, etc. And basically I'm looking how much we are borrowing, emulating, copying Western ideas, British, Scandinavians, ones, Americans, and how much we're inventing our own. And I would have to say we almost 95% are copying and maybe 5% something we're inventing or reinventing from our historical past, especially the special force area, because we have a kind of history of military resistance against Soviet Union in late 40s, early 50s, and our special forces are something learning from that experience and especially tactical level decisions and sharing even, I know that it's British and let's say American special forces because you know how to how to hide tracks in a snow in a forest, etc. Such kind of practical practical things which were we were successful because almost ten years we were fighting back Soviet soldiers in our forests without any mountains, deserts, wherever. So but basically when we're talking about regular armed forces, land forces, air or navy, we are just borrowing or copying or sometimes we're just emulating this Western, especially British one concepts. And my background is political science, and in political science it is a requirement let's say, that you have to approach to your project with some kind of problem. Because at first I was just interested and curious what we're thinking. But when my supervisor asked, let's say, what is your problem, I was to first think about it, and one of the angles which I decided to take it was a civil-military relations perspective, let's say, and how this reflection and consideration about concepts, about war, uh, is affecting our civil-military relations. And when I talk about civil-military relations, my starting point is definition of power, because I see civil-military relations as a relationship of power, let's say, who will be in charge of what. And I have a problem with that, because the power, as you know, it's a, as, as a war, as a security, as a democracy, as a freedom, is a very diverse concept. There are so many definitions that you just may lost in all these definitions. 
I maybe went easy way. I choose a British sociologist definition, Michael Mann, when he talks about two coexisting definitions of power, despotic and infrastructure. And despotic power is, is power over society. Infrastructural power is through society. Or basically, say, despotic power is ontological. It's about institutions. And uh, infrastructural power is epistemological. It's about discourse. It's about socialization of concepts. It's about controlling your behavior even when you don't, don't know that or don't understand that, how it's controlled, propaganda, for example. So, and then I took this perspective and I looked in civil military relations all writings, I see a very clear picture. The mainstream tradition started by Huntington, Yanovitz, continued by Siegel, Moscos, Burke, uh, now Fever, Avant, Schiff, they all talk about despotic power. How to do, what, how to arrange institutional framework, legislative framework, conceptual framework to take away or not permit military to take power, central power, to, to govern or to be coup d'etat or more, let's say, more various ways, not only coup d'etat, but still just keep away military from the central power, is despotic power. But when I look in contemporary dis discussions, also that we have discussions about militarization, or this now very popular concept, militainment, military and entertainment, and let's see, even simple question about discipline, how it spreads over, how, let's say, we are controlling someone without it's even his understanding or notice, and in this way, despotic power can explain, because it's not institutions. And you can measure, if you take political science perspective, so it's not, you can use statistics, or interviews, or institutional analysis, it's not help totally. You need this infrastructural power requires what? You have to, to do content analysis, discourse analysis, conceptual history. So when I look from this perspective, I see that in some ways you have to use these two different understandings of power, and I would say it's, it's too overwhelming despotic power understanding in civil military literature. And we're not talking about the other part of the power and control. And why it is important, coming back and say why power is important, and say what, what is the utility of power and what is the utility of civil military relations. And for me, I, I probably almost quote Professor Strong, and I agree with him that for me, civil military relations, first of all, is about strategy and about fighting, and on the, after that, is about civilian control over military. Because as Peter Fuhrer told, is a dilemma or paradox of civil military relations. At first, we create armed forces to defend ourselves, and the second step is that we start in a framing of this institution. But the first step is to have a viable institution which could fight. And later on, we're trying to manage and find ways how to control it. So now the question is, let's say, how we fight, how we discuss it about. So for me, reflection about war, let's say, how we fight. Or, or, let's say, strategy. Strategy is about, I think, to recognize and understand this complexity of nature of war, differences between nature and character of war, and different ways of war. So if you don't have this discussion, it's kind of line of logic in my writing now. So if you don't have a discussion about these conceptual issues, we don't have a good understanding of strategy. And in this way, if you don't have a good understanding of strategy, we have problems with our civil military relations. So in this way, reflection or discussions inside the military and between military and civilians is kind of 
I would say why to if you want to have a good, proper civil military relations. And going to the Lithuanian case, where also what is important, when you're talking about despotic power, it's about institutions. So Lithuania, I would say, like all Central Eastern European countries after the collapse of the so so Soviet Union, we just copied very fastly Western institutions. Legislative, par uh, governmental, let's say, all different agencies. And our membership in the European Union forced us, let's say, to adapt all this uh, law package. And the thing is kind of a record breaker in the European Union because we just adapt everything what the European Union told us, especially Brussels. So, and in many cases, we just adapt directive in our legislative system and only that we ask questions. Why? Why, did we, why didn't we discuss it more widely? Let's see, maybe we needed some adaptations, wherever. So, so we are very fast to pick up all this framework, all this shell, but the question is, what about the content? They all, let's see, going to political science, uh, jargon is what about the quality of democracy, quality of civil military relations. So they say we have a in institutional framework it's not so it's a very good. Everything is done by British American example with British advisors worked worked I think ten years ago in Lithuania helped us to have all this institutional framework of civil military relations. Now but for me the question a more vital question is what we do inside that framework. Are we discussing and how are we discussing? What kind of quality discussions exist? And there I see the lots of uh, lots of problems. Uh, one of them, just I, I'll I'll be back 20 years back into my some memories, so I will share some history of mine. 20 years ago, I was a teenage boy in my native town, somewhere provincial Lithuania, and I decided to improve my reading skills in English. And I just went to public library. And I was search I I was keen into history, so I was looking a book about history in English. And I found it. It was Geoffrey Parker, Military Revolution. And I have to say, it enchanted me, and it still enchants me. So if you want to understand my worldview into academia, into military role, that is Geoffrey Parker, or if you go into political science, Charles Tilley or Michael Mann. That I see that military is not only destructive power, but also is a productive power, creative power. Let's, let's say, as a Charles Tilley said, Wars made states, states made war. And I think this all critique, I, th I think his, this argument still stands. And sometimes we are talking too much about destructive power of state, especially Western countries, not, not maybe what is happening outside the Western world. With this Geoffrey Parker's glasses, I came to university. And I found two things, one positive and then very negative. Positive that I found the tradition political science that which complements uh, Parker's interpretation. That is, as I said, Charles Tilley, Christopher Dendecker, at least in his early writings, uh, Michael Mann, Charles Tilley, Thaddeus Koppel, all of them discussed, were discussing about how military is important as a subject. If you want to understand how Western countries were form formed and developed. The negative perspective is that this tradition both historical and sociological political is very marginalized in mainstream political science and social science in general. It's kept on the margins. In many cases, it's just there is lots of attempts just to destroy it, just to abolish chairs in faculties, to criticize, not to permit publish some papers, etc. Is maybe because Charles Steele, Thaddeus Koppel, Jeffrey Parker were so prominent scholars, they just managed to fight that fight. But in overall, if you look, let's say, major trends in social theories, 
that is liberalism, Marxism, and neoconstructivism. And what unites all of them is a, is a negative perspective of, towards war and military. So talking in practice, war studies is not practical, is not necessary discipline. It's a waste of money. Maybe better spend money for anthropology, or political economy, or political sociology, or security studies, but not war study. So I know that it sounds a bit maybe uh, too much black, not white, or some in the middle, but I would say when I'm attending conferences of military sociologists, military historians, sometimes I think they just don't understand how minor importance they are for dominant scholars and trends in major Western universities. That military studies is not popular. Why I'm talking about this? So when Lithuania copied everything from Western world when it became independent, also the educational system, the framework, how we teach, what we teach, what kind of theories. So let's say in Lithuanian case, war studies is just almost non-existent discipline. So I spent 15 years now in university and from 24 as a Lithuanian independent, and I have I took I had a position so very high in my university, so I know more or less how social science exists, what kind of problems bureaucratical political is in Lithuania when you wanted to proceed with social sciences in Lithuania. So, so basically, it's a, a domination is political economy, political sociology, strategic studies, security studies, and because of membership of the European Union, European studies, which again basically it is public policy and political economy. So if you want to do some about something about military studies, that is a problem in Lithuania. I was lucky because my supervisor in my for my undergrad thesis, master thesis, and PhD was uh, a dean of political philosophy, Lithuania, very respectable professor, and he is a former Soviet Union officer. So he just I don't know maybe because of his military legacy he understood maybe the need of some military studies, so he just was kind of shield for me, at least for some years, when I managed to fight back on my own in my faculty and university. But the whole history is that, let's say, for the last 15 years, people who graduated from Lufin universities are trained, we don't have experts in military studies. So we, when we're talking about reflection, civilian side can provide only few people in bureaucracy or in academia or in journalist area who could comment about ongoing military missions and about some conceptual issues. So basically, I know that say, when Lithuania will decide to send soldiers somewhere outside Lithuania, there are two people who always ask for comment. I, they're asking me because I almost don't only one who is doing proper, pure military studies, and my colleague in uh, journalists. That's all. Two people who could comment something about military in Lufin. The problem is, in this case, I forced to be expert on all issues. So, in summer I was discussing about Syria, right now I was discussing Central African Republic because we're sending soldiers. Uh, in spring last I was talking about Somalia, so <laughs> everywhere where Lufin is going, I have to have some comments, and you know, it's very shallow, and I don't like that, but, and, but that is the situation. So let's say, when talking about reflection from civilian side, we don't have a lot of people to provide. And the problem is, one, 
young country, so we have some experts, but they run to civil service, to Ministry of Defense, intelligence services, and they can't write, they can't comment, they became bureaucrats, that's all. And they just decided to be bureaucrats. They made a good career, some of them already ambassadors, etc. but like, they're not writing, and they forgot the skills of research. Another is uh, our particular geopolitical situation. Because of Russia and its well, cyber and energy sector control, uh, we are investing a lot of intellectual power into questions of energy security and cyber security, which has only small relevance when you talk about proper military discussions. So let's say my colleagues of my age now writing more about energy security and cyber security, that, and that is our understanding of security. So military is a very small part of all that. When we move from civilian side into military side, the picture is maybe even more gloomy, and that is, let's say, in this case, I will be kind of brutal, but uh, frank about Lithuanian case. So we have, all, again, institutional framework, it seems quite okay. We have six journals, newspapers, which is written by people working in a system of defense, or so let's say, but basically by civilians, not military officers or military servicemen. But still, and they are published bi-weekly, quarterly, but there is, let's say there is some literature and there is some reflection. And I go deeper in these writings, and it's easy to do for me all along research, because during these 24 years, the size of publication is still manageable to read it, everything, or just to scan it. It's not so much. And so what topics are dominant? History. German history and experience in Second World War. Not First World War, not Soviet, maybe because of our Soviet legacy, but Germans in Second World War fighting. Our insurgency fighting or resistance fighting with, against Soviets in, as I mentioned, late 40s, early 50s. Then there's a lot of uh, discussions about particular weapon systems, about our Lithuanian, very old historical past, because you know, Lithuania in 15th, 13th, 15th, 16th century was a big country in Southern Eastern Europe. And they say we were really good in fighting. We were fighting against Germanites, against Russians, against Swedes, against, against Tatars. And I would say 75% we were victorious, 25% we were defeated. But so, and that is very important for our identity. That's, let's say, so our military, even inside the military, they're spending a lot of time and money just to discuss about this far, far away past times and maybe some legacy for contemporary needs. But I would say sometimes it's kind of artificial, but that is. So when, but why, when I'm looking, let's say, for articles about contemporary missions, Lithuanian and let's say NATO, or some reflections about new concepts like, I don't know, fourth generation warfare, coin, uh, new war debate, or let's say ethic based operations, I found minor, maybe, I found 10 articles in, in a time frame of 24 years about all these subjects in military journals. For me, is a very clear indicator of level of reflection of all these discussions. Or actually, for me, it's, it's an indicator that we're not uh, discussing at all, I would say. Uh, there's, when we have our own PRT in Lufania, there was more discussions about mission Afghanistan, about PRTs, but even that is more, I would say, 
uh, military sociology, but not let's say let's say what is purity, what is stabilization missions, what we're doing there. Let's say again broader frame of coin, what is happening in that era. Let's say what is Lithuanian input. There was kind of minor discussions about that. Moreover, let's say we were before Afghanistan, we were in Iraq, we were in Bosnia, we were in Kosovo. We don't have not only official histories, but we don't have even a booklet about each of these missions. So if I want to now to find out, let's say, what Lithuanians were doing in Bosnia and Kosovo, let's say, what they learned, what lessons learned for all issues, operational, tactical, even political, <laughs> international cooperation, I don't know. I don't have any literature about that. I know the officers were served. I can I may go and interview them, but let's say, but if I want to do give something for my students, for example, to read, there is nothing. We don't have a tradition of uh, this official history writing in military. Well, it's 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 a good or bad thing. They say all oh, these official histories. Maybe the another question, but I say, but we don't have a tradition to put something on the paper for future generations to know. Let's say what we did, what was good, what was wrong, and the same now with Afghanistan. We came back from Afghanistan eight years. Big operation, the biggest operation for Lithuania, and I think for foreseeable future, it will be the biggest. There's not any discussion, let's say, to start writing something about semi official, about what we learned in that. So there is a problem in this level. I took another step. I go to official documents and especially doctrinal level and to look, let's say, to look for reflection in this area. So our, we have our first doctrine in 2010 military doctrine, then we have a military doctrine operation in 2011, and last year we published a military training doctrine. Well, the, the, the fact that we have a doctrine is kind of step forward. Now, I don't, so when I will come back to Lufania after staying here in Oxford, I will do a, lots of interviews. So the first question will be, I will ask people why we have these doctrines at this particular date. Is it was because of NATO requirement? Because you know we need a member, and we must have checklist of some all these documents like strategies, field manuals, documents, etc. Or was it some kind of inside right? But from that, what I see in a wider discussions, or it's not it's because it not exists. I think it wasn't some drive from junior officers to do something to to put something into doctrine. When I read doctrines, they are heavily borrowed from British ones. Our military doctrine 2010 is a crude translation of uh, British military doctrine 2008, third edition. The structure of the text is the same. The concepts are the same. The two main concepts, which are so important for British as for Lithuanians, mission command and maneuvers approach. That is the essence of doctrine in, in Lithuania, and what I read, at least in official documents in Britain also, the question is maybe Britain is discussing more inside, it'll say, what does it mean, is it proper, not proper, in Lithuania again, I when I was starting looking, I said, okay, manuvers approach, what is it? Did we discuss something in our papers, articles, debates, even inside the parliament, when we have an oversight committee, they say, which have to permit to publish this document, nothing. So I don't know actually what we think, what is maneuvers approach for Lufanians, except what is written in doctrine. And the same is, as mission command. 
I have to go deeper, I have to talk with officers who wrote these doctrines, I have to go maybe to look into field manuals and training programs, but at f right now I would say that we wrote the things without any public discussion before and after that. There was no reaction. And actually my fault too, I, I haven't wrote none of paper about the doctrines. Even they say it's already four years as it's published, but probably with my research will fix at least this area. And so there is again lack of reflection. Another indicator, even let's say if there are some articles who the authors are. For me, let's say when I'm reading uh, I don't know, American Parameters, Military Review, John Porter uh, Journal or American British Army Review or ROC Journal, there's experts writing, civilians, but also lots of officers, acting officers, writing, commenting, especially on doctrinal, operational level questions. So in Lithuanian case, where there's even articles about military issues, there's only a small number of officers who are writing. So, and see, so in Lithuania, we, okay, we're sending a lot of officers to Tartu, Estonia, which is, has a Baltic Defense College. It's, uh, you see, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, also Scandinavian officers, uh, they have as high command courses, basically for majors, sometimes even colonels, and they say they have Baltic Defense and Security Review Journal. I check it also, and there is, uh, I think, 14 volumes now, so on them, only 12 publications by Lithuanians, and from these 12 publications, only three are by officers. Even let's say officers who are sent to this college, they're not writing, the papers are not published. Latins and Estonians publish even more than Lithuanian officers. Now the question is, why are we not doing that? Let's say, what is the reason? My answer is, two answers is, one is Soviet legacy, especially about secrecy. And we have to keep everything tight, not to provide, not to give nothing to Russians to read. What we're thinking about war, how we're preparing about war, etc. But I say, but that is when you're talking about free democratic country. And I said, so we'll say, so why British are not afraid? Why Americans are not afraid? And they will say, kind of openly are discussing. Of course, there is some secret issues, but let's say discussions about nature of war is kind of open. So let's say, why don't we have in Lithuania? Why you can't permit officers to do that? And Again, if someone asks some questions, I will have to clarify and I will come back. But my hypothesis is the secrecy of it's a Russian culture. And it's seen not only military. If you go to foreign policy or intelligence service or whatever agency, there's a kind of secrecy or afraid of conspiracy. Just to keep tight, not provide information is very much a lie. And it's very Russian, actually. But it's an obstacle, let's say, to have a proper, maybe wider discussion. Another one is more uh, joyful, I would say. It concerns our understanding of history. When Soviet Union collapsed, we brought back our historical tradition from interwar period, which was Rankian tradition, primacy of foreign policy. That means that our overall framework of history was the history of war and diplomacy. So let's say, and that that and it helps to how to say to keep alive our understanding that Lithuanians always was a nation of warriors, heroic warriors, who were victorious or heroically defeated, but never, never, ever a bad boys, a bad guys, never. And so they say, and that is sometimes, I talked with some officers in Lithuania and said, 
why we need always discussions about war. War is in our blood. We know how to fight. Because look at our history. Our history is wars. So the thing is, genetically and mentally, is just war is imprinted in our blood. So they say, we don't need to read about war. We don't need to discuss about war. That is a question of culture and, again, wider discussion about understanding of history in civilian side and into military. But that is also the area which I will probe more, but that's where I get some answers about my research. So, overall, I would have to say, so to say, in military, we are doing well. Our military is serving and they fighting and participating in missions. Casualties are minimal, so maybe we are good soldiers, or maybe we just are lucky we got a good regions to take care of. It's like in Afghanistan, which has less insurgency, less uh, critical situations, etc. Uh, maybe, well, Americans and British are very good, how to say, mentors of Lithuania and taking care of a lot of things, and we don't need to invest in some issues. But for me, they say, just to copy and emulate, or even sometimes just translate and technically British doctrines, documents, solving discussions, that is a sign of weakness. Or we need more improvement in this because we, we don't know to say if something is appropriate for British, maybe it's not appropriate for Lithuanian because different region, different culture, different traditions. Let's say, did we ask this question? Did we try to adapt that to our needs? Or we just it was technical translation and adaptation into this framework. I don't know because I don't see the discussion. Discussion probably happens inside the military, fine. But also discussion must be outside the military on more open debates. I know it's kind of sounds kind of idealistic, but I say United States and Britain, well, you have your own problems. And like I said, I say that politicians are not always following the advice given by military or civilian experts. But overall, you have this tradition. You have think tanks, you have journals, you have scholars and experts who are meeting like here, they say, discussing and trying to decide what is, what is better, what is not. But, but in Lithuania, we don't have any national framework. Even Estonia managed to, ha managed to have a think tank for defense issues. Smaller country in Lithuania, we don't have even that. And we're not even discussing to have something of inside military academy or outside, wherever. So it's the question for me is, so we don't have this reflection. And when we don't have this reflection, I see the problem in civil-military relations. And the practical issues, very simple. So we sent our soldiers last spring into Somalia. It was an Atalanta mission. Now we're sending this transport plane and unit to Central Africa, African Republic. It was just decided somewhere outside of Lithuania, then this, our request came, Ministry of Defense decided, talked with government presidency, get permission from parliament, and everything was done in one week and decision made. No discussion. Is it necessary? Not necessary. Is it proper units? Maybe other units is maybe better to send it. So let's say the, all discussion that will be happening here in any, any more prof, bigger maybe or more older Western country, we don't have it. We just it seems to say that I would say public society is just cut off. It's only a decision between government and armed forces to do something, and society is not participating because we don't have experts, but even we, even these, those who are interested in a little bit, not invited or not, let's say, given permission to participate. 
So, and even, let's say, inside the military, well, again, they made a decision, but I don't see, let's say, even they came back from Somalia, on, we sent a couple of officers to Mali for an instructional job. We don't have, let's say, article. What I did in Somalia, let's say, what I lesson I learned as an officer, serving, let's say, with international, in international steps, and we don't have even this kind of journal article for cadets in military academy, for civilian students, just to read it. Even if it's not academical very deeply, but even that is not existent yet. It's changing, and I hope it will change, because for the last year, two officers published their memoirs about their service in Iraq, which was, how to say, uh, get a very big critique from Minister of Defense, and there was a lot of attempts not to permit publication and this Saturday it will be an official uh, presentation of book public uh, about the history of our special forces written by my colleague that journalist that will be first I don't know how it will look because special forces you know it's like lots of secrecy so I don't know what will be the content of that book but that at least is an attempt to do something with contemporary issues and that is a bit changing but it's only well one two years trends so let's say for the last 22, 23 years, uh, we have a problem with this reflection. So, so summarizing probably, I will. It's time to stop to talk for me. Maybe get your reflection. So when I look into civil military relations, so I see the problem. So if you want to talk about proper, constructive civil military relations, it's not only institutional framework, but also the content and quality of that content. If you want to, you have a armed forces, you want to use it for some political reasons, how you will use it, what they for. So that is probably where is all this discussion about strategies happening. We don't have this intellectual, I would say, tradition from civilian and military side. And it's not encouraged to exist, or I say still is not encouraged. So I say we don't have a reflection. And I, I think the worst case what might happen, let's say one day when we send soldiers somewhere and maybe some tragedy will happen, and then, then with this strategy will struck Lithuania, people will start asking questions. Why were there? Why these soldiers? Why these units? Why we were fought particularly in this way? And the answers will be known because there was non-good, good open discussions. Even they say leaving some secret stuff inside the military to discuss and to prepare planning, but this, that tradition is not still existing. So they say we are very good in copying <coughs> institutional framework from Western countries, we were still, I would say, kind of in bad shape copying this tradition of discussion and reflection, which exists in the same countries which provides us an institutional framework. So overall, I would say, let's say, in Lithuania, it's not, if, let's say, strategies to, let's say, to understand and recognize the complexity of war, nature of war, so let's say it's not only civilian side is which lacks this capacity, I would say, to discuss, but even more military side also, from my perspective, from what I see, lacks this capacity and is not encouraged to invest to enlarge this capacity to think through what, why are you doing that? Let's say what is your business area? Let's say, if you want a war, so what is war is for you? Let's say how are you prepare to fight. These existential, I would say, philosophical questions are not very much asked in the Finnish armed forces. And that is, for me at least, is a problem. With which problem which is not contained only inside the military, but it has impact outside the military, I would say. 
So that is overall my presentation. Kind of sober, kind of sad, but I would say frank, and sometimes you have to be frank and direct to the point. Well, thank you much indeed.